Good morning and welcome to the Hold All the Podcast. Thank you for joining me today as I chat with Debbie Azubel. Debbie, pronouns she, her, was born in Mexico and raised through Mexico, Argentina, Israel and Spain before she found herself in Wurundjeri land where her children were born. She is a birth and postpartum doula because she believes that continuity of care is crucial to a mother's well-being. However, her biggest passion is the closing the bones ceremony, which is informed by the traditional Mexican postpartum ritual. She weaves into her work the various tools she has collected along the way as a permaculturalist, gardener, primary school teacher, as well as her love for cooking, music, ritual and community. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation today. Welcome to the Whole Doula Podcast. The Whole Doula Podcast is a conversation space for doulas and birth workers to talk about the diverse paths that led them to birth work, as well as the diverse and unique skills, interests and offerings they bring to their birthkeeping roles. Here I dive into conversations with others who may be wondering how to bring the different aspects and experiences of their own lives into their roles as doulas in business. After all, there is more than one way to doula, and I'd love to help others see the connections between all the different parts of themselves, to see themselves as a whole doula. I am your host, Mary Giordano, doula, birth educator, counsellor, and doula business mentor, and this is the Whole Doula Podcast. I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, Debbie. So lovely to have you here on the Whole Doula Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on to join me. I'd love to start by hearing whereabouts you are based and also what sort of doula you are or if you refer to yourself as a doula or not or what sort of birth worker you are, just so that the listeners can get a feel for where you are and what you do. All right. Thanks for having me. I'm based in Thornbury, Melbourne, but, you know, that doesn't mean, yeah, I work everywhere. And yeah, when you asked how I referred to myself a doula or a birth worker, I was thinking with about it and I realized I have no attachment to what I call myself. I think it, it's mostly who I'm talking to, but either doula or birth worker. And what I do is I do birth work and postpartum care. Those okay. are my. Beautiful. Yeah. So it depends on who you're talking to as to the term that you use. You sort of adapt that based on perhaps what your what the person you're speaking to might understand around those terms do you mean or just yeah yeah and I think it also depends on what I've been exposed to if I've if I've been a b- more birth I'll say I'm a birth keeper because mm-hmm. it feels like more tending or a birth worker mm-hmm. yeah I think it also depends on what I've experienced at that moment but I think doula is what I use the most mm-hmm. yeah. I love the way that that even just the, the label or the name as well as alive <laughs> so yeah changing yeah Cool. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey to birth work. I know you shared a little bit with me in the form that you submitted when you expressed your interest here around having lived in several parts of the world and and having experience in, um, well, I'll let you speak to it, but quite a a varied experience that you bring to this work. So I'd love to hear how you came to this work and then I'll ask you after the different ways that you sort of do this work and and how that's unique to you. Yeah. Well, the way I got to it, I might start kind of from the end and move back. I had my my first born at a hospital and it was a very long and traumatic birth that I didn't realize how traumatic it was until many years later. Mm. And then four years later, nearly five, when I had my second child, by hand of God, I ended up birthing at home. It wasn't planned and then last minute it was. And so in the last few weeks of my pregnancy, I suddenly was surrounded with birth workers who carry this knowledge and and who guide and support and witness women in their process and pass on what they know. And so 
after having that experience, which was very healing and informing as well, I realized the importance of that and how it's needed and felt I wanted to be a part of it. And then I was at a ceremony with a friend who was pregnant for the first time and she didn't know much about birth. And I just came and I told and I just kind of bombed her with everything that I knew. And I had Rhea's book and I was like, and this, and this is what you need to know. And this is the physiology of birth. And and then she looked at me, she said, you should be a doula. And you know, when suddenly someone says something and all the pieces just click. And mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, that's what I should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then lockdowns happened. So Rhea's course was online, or I think it was canceled that year. So I looked for something else to do. And I ended up doing Rochelle Garcia Saliga's Innate Traditions course online for postpartum care. Mm-hmm. And then I moved on to Rhea's course. So that's how I ended up at doula work. But I I did lots of other stuff before that I incorporate into this work. Beautiful. Gosh, there's so much there that I want to unpack. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Firstly, I'm interested in your story sounds similar to mine, actually, where your first birth was traumatic, but you didn't realize the extent to which it was traumatic until years later. I'm wondering, it's not really specific, maybe to the topic of the podcast, but it, maybe it also is. I'm, I'm curious how you discovered that eventually, how traumatic it was. Was it your body sort of letting you know or was it? did it come through to you in another way or was it through attending births maybe that you sort of had a different perspective and, and realised that? Or I think I had an inkling because I really struggled to kind of be present as a mum. I mean, I think entrance to motherhood is already like such a shock mm-hmm. that you do it in a way that you feel that if you enter it in a way that you feel that your body's betrayed you or you didn't live up to what you were meant to do, then you're already kind of walking into it, carrying a lot of shame and guilt. And I think it was only when my daughter turned three that suddenly I was like, oh, finally, I've landed. I've I've, I've finally entered the kind of the, the door of motherhood and I'm present. Mm-hmm. And so that was a bit of a kind of a, a shock and a realization. But it wasn't until I had my son and seeing that, how easy it was to just, and I know that he's a, he's the second. There's a lot of things that, that are different. You know, I think second time is very different. You already know kind of what you're entering as a mother, but the connection with him was so easy and I don't carry guilt around stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot about what Naoli said in the workshop that we were together with her. And she said that she carries so much appreciation or respect for women that didn't have a natural physiological birth because the connection that is made with your child while you labor, those women have to work really, really, really hard to create that bond that's meant to happen at birth. And I think that's what happened with my daughter. It took me that long to make those connections. Yeah. So I think it was the understanding of how traumatic it was, was on different layers. Every couple of years, the layer was peeled. Yeah. Mm, Of course. And thank you so much for sharing that. I think it is relevant to doulas who may be listening because they're supporting families and it's unfortunately a really common story I think this one but also relevant to people who are preparing for birth who may be interested in the work of the doulas and listening as well yeah my story is similar but it took me a lot longer than three years unfortunately I'm still in that process nearly 10 years on just sort of discovering the trauma still in my body from that time so it's really phenomenal the impact of birth and as you said as Nolly alluded to when you have a incongruence or some kind of interference with the birth or or trauma, then often we have to work harder to establish those connections. And sometimes we don't even realize it. So it's so profound. 
So you said that you trained with Rochelle Garcia Solega in her postpartum. What's the name of her course again? Postpartum innate traditions. Is that right? Innate traditions. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to share a little bit about what you learned from that and and what that involved? It's a nine month course, and there's different modules. So in every module, she focuses on like uterine health and breast health and pelvic health. So it's 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 rich with content, and she has a lot of great guest speakers that come. And I think what I took from it the most, the thing that I was most passionate about with her course, is that once you do the course, there's an offering where you can then set up a course where you teach other family how to support which kind of relates my biggest grief and one of the the questions that you were asking was like what I find the most challenging about this work and for me it's when I sit with a postpartum mom for example and I'm holding her baby while she's sleeping or doing something and I just sit there and I and I sit in grief because I think we shouldn't be fucking paying for this like this be happening as a community we shouldn't women should not seek this out Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I'm shooting myself in the foot because this is my livelihood, but it's a truth. It's only really accessible to people of a certain privilege. The work that yeah. I do is the same, and I'm acutely aware of that. Yeah, when you're seeing those women in those vulnerable postpartum states and realizing that they represent only a very small few who are receiving that kind of support, whilst the majority of people aren't, it's yeah. really it's confronting and seeing also I find, you know, speaking to women, I was at a mother blessing on the weekend for a, a client of mine and her mother and grandmother being there and her mother-in-law and women of a certain generation who wouldn't have had any kind of semblance of that kind of support validation. Even I didn't 10 years ago or even five years ago with my experiences. I feel you, I feel that grief as well. And I don't think it's shooting yourself in the foot. It's it's a truth. It's an uncomfortable truth in this work. It is, you know, people who are privileged can access the support of a doula and a postpartum doula. And I know that there are some who offer their services on a, on a sliding scale or green bottle sort of payment type scenario. But at the end of the day, we are trying to run businesses. And yes, gosh, wouldn't it be amazing if the kind of work that we do were funded publicly and available to everyone? Yeah. Just a little break from our conversation to let you know that I'm currently working on the Savvy Doula, an intensive business program for doulas to help you uplevel your business acumen to ensure that your dream work is not just fulfilling your heart's calling, but also sustainable and financially viable for the long term. The Savvy Doula will be launching early in 2024. To express your interest, send me an email at hello at marygiordano.com.au or connect with me on Instagram at marygiordano.com.au. That was like my, I guess what I'd, I'd share from her course is that there is the option of like, as a postpartum doula, for me, that's something that I want to potentially do in the future is to offer that course where a pregnant woman comes with her support people. And then I educate them about, you know, this is why she needs to rest. This is what is happening to her body. You know, she's got the relaxing hormone. Everything can fall out. So, you know, don't make her stand up. This is what she needs to eat. This is why she needs body work. Yeah. The ripple effects of, of that learning going into the to the communities of people supporting her, but beyond as well, because they'll take that further to their following clients and, and families and loved ones. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So then you did, then. so that was an online course, wasn't it? Yeah. Shell Space yeah. and you're in Australia. And so then you did an in-person training with Rhea, who, for those listening outside of Australia, Rhea Dempsey is a very well-known figure in the birth world here, former midwife and I think educator. Um, I'm not exactly sure of her other titles, but she's 
she does a birth worker circle. Maybe what was that sort of preparation like for you? It's beautiful. The course consists of, again, nine months. <laughs> and we meet once a month for a whole day. And you sit in circle with other women. And the first weekend, we all just shared our birth stories, if we birthed or how we were birthed. Women would share, you know, a miscarriage or end of pregnancy. And it's really powerful. I mean, I think most of this, and, and that I think that was the main training. It's just, you learn about the physiology of birth, but mostly you just learn to sit and actively listen and be present and trust your intuition. I think for me, that's what the training was. I, I, it was just being with women and understanding the power of women mm -hmm. when women mm -hmm. come together and the importance of finding women with experience to to guide you and pass on their knowledge. I find mm -hmm. that's, that's crucial for this work. You can't figure it out on your own. You need you need people to mm. that have walked the path to kind of take you with them. Do you mean as a birth worker or as a woman preparing for birth or both? Both. Yeah. 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 But I was referring as like that was what I realized as a birth worker. That mm. So beautiful and it's so resonant as well. And of course, the best way to learn is in practice. And a lot of people are seeking, you know, I, I get inquiries sometimes from people wanting to shadow my work and, and come with me to clients and things. And so far it hasn't, I've, I've had somebody come with me to some ceremonies, but not to visits, it just hasn't felt aligned and geographically speaking, it hasn't been convenient and all of that. But yeah, it's beautiful. I have a vision actually for a model in the future or a collective where Oh, lots of things. But yeah, where it's more easeful to make that happen, that learning from each other. And mm. I think just reimagining the way things can be done. We, we don't know what we don't know. So we don't know what's possible until we create it. And all things are possible, I feel. So those two formations or trainings, as I suppose, were in the last few years. And they it sounds like they were both really beautiful experiences and very different. You said you also have, so even before the birth, like I'm interested in before you even sort of had this. Um, awakening or realization of being drawn to the, the birth keeper role, what you were focused on in the years prior to that and, and what interests and skills and experience from your former life are still coming into this present role of doula? Yeah. God, I, I had so many hats. Where did I start? Well, I had, I, I started off as a graphic designer mm -hmm. and then, um, Moved on to Israel and lived in a small eco village in the desert, and that's where kind of the the awareness of what living in a community, the importance of being surrounded by people, came to me, and that's where I learned a lot of mud building and organic gardening. They had a permaculture course, so I was teaching college students that came from the states, and I was teaching them part of a course. So that's where I kind of got the teaching bug, and then ended up coming to Australia and training as a Steiner teacher. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, ended up, but didn't teach in Steiner schools. I ended up teaching gardening in a primary school in Brunswick. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. So how does the permaculture and gardening background infiltrate or inform or enrich the practice that you have now? I feel like permaculture comes in and the idea of trying to make things as sustainable as possible. I don't think you need permaculture training to, you know, bring <laughs> that in. That, that's kind of for me. Mm -hmm. And also uh, with the gardening, I've got a garden that I love growing herbs and vegetables and try to, when I cook for mums, if I have stuff in season, I incorporate that. And then just herbs, I 
growing and drying all year long and making oils and and bombs. Mm. That's a part of the work that I love because it's all year round. Even if I'm not seeing a woman, I'm still mm-hmm. kind of tending to doing- the future women. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious, in the products that you make, do you solely use things from your garden or do you use them with other things sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. I need to source. I mean, I try to do what I can, but mm-hmm. um, sometimes I have to purchase other stuff. For yeah. Sure. Okay. Beautiful. So, of course, you try to use, obviously, you try to, you know, grow as much as you can, but um, <laughs> climate and other, and space and other things would probably yeah. mean that you can't. And time. It's so time consuming. Yeah. So yeah. beautiful, though. I love that tending through the garden and, and seeing that thread of, you know, the previous experience of the gardening and permaculture. And as you said, of course, you don't have to have a permaculture training to to bring, you know, the the medicine of plants and herbs to a woman. But that's your story and there's a certain yeah. richness to that that's unique to you. It's love of sort of envisioning you in your kitchen or wherever it is that you prepare your things for the women in the future. But, you know, that's my friend, Mary. You asked what was something that I loved about like, what does it mean to me to be a doula? And I really love those questions because it really had me reflecting. You know, sometimes we do things and we don't really stop to think, what does it mean or why do I do it? Just to clarify yeah. for the listeners that I sent Debbie some questions prior to the call that were just sort of guiding questions. So that's what she's referring to here. So go ahead. I think the question was like, what does it mean for me to be a doula? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that mm-hmm. there's no separation, you know, like, There's no work skills and life skills. Being a doula is just an extension. I'm not a doula. It's just I'm Debbie and Mm. I have to support women in these things. But I don't, it's not separate to what I do. The skills that I bring to my work are the skills. It's just the skills that I use. It's how I live. And that's what I love about work. It's not separate. Mm. And as I was reflecting about it, I was thinking about what Naoli said. It was like, in order to be a good doula, you have to be a good lover. And in order to be a good lover, you have to be a good cook. And everything, mm-hmm. all one and the same. They're all linked. Mm-hmm. There's no, yeah. That's- yeah, that's, I love that as well. I often think of, and say often when I'm sort of speaking to families, I like to think of birth being life and life being birth and birth not being separate to life. It's just part of the, it's just part of it. And, and that's really evident, particularly when we attend home births and we see how birth just occurs in the daily unfoldings rather than removing ourselves from the daily mm. place to go to a different setting to birth and, re- and then return. So similar to that, as a, as a doula, you're saying you're not, doulaing is not separate to living. It's just, is, is it a hat that you wear then or is it just, it's just one of your many attributes and interests is doulaing, which is just a, an extension of living your wholesome yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. I mm. think it's just, extension like even just the most obvious example is like say if I cook for a family that I'm seeing mm-hmm. I just cook double and then we eat the same I mean it's not mm-hmm. that yeah I mean my kids maybe won't because they're very fussy but that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's just there's no separation mm-hmm. and and what you're talking about the ripple effects like I'll share a little anecdote about my partner my partner is a paramedic and when we were seeing Fiona Hallinan for internal pelvic release mm-hmm. when I was pregnant she was talking about the importance of heat in third stage labor and how women need to be warm after they give birth before they birth the placenta because otherwise the adrenaline kicks in and and then it'll kind of stop Mm -hmm. so from then on you know he's just brought this into his work and he's in the ambulance and if he's if a woman gives birth he immediately gets the space blanket and he's trying to keep them warm (sighs) or he went to a birth where the woman 
had to be transported to the hospital. She gave birth, but she had to be transported to the hospital. And the woman was really upset that she had to go to the hospital. And they lived around the corner. So he came home. This was when I was doing my postpartum training. And he comes and he's like, I think we need to give them food. I think we need to support them with nourishing meals. So, you know, we cooked meal and he dropped it off. Mm. And So he went there as a parent, like, did he go there in his paramedic uniform to drop it off? Or is it like, it's just a neighbor? Um, it was a neighbor, a neighbor that was there and he knew. And um, yeah, it was really beautiful to see how through this work, it's those ripple effects. of. Mm-hmm. So not putting a warm blanket on, for example, that was new to him, was it? So, yeah, yeah, he didn't know the importance of warmth. How powerful the, the resonance in our partners and our children and the understanding of, yeah, this, this, these ripple effects, as you say. I see it in my kids as well on the way. I find it interesting to hear them talking about my work sometimes. And my son told me the other week that I just do a lot of ceremony and, like, it's all about ceremonies and <laughs> weird stuff or something. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh. Beautiful. So... You've already spoken to some of these questions. The graphic designing, you said you you started off as a graphic designer. Is there any of that that's still present in in this new role? Is there any sort of graphic work that you're doing alongside your business or part of your business? No, no, I think it's more the aesthetic. Like I enjoy aesthetics. I think I have a very specific aesthetic and so I like things a certain way and that might, I'll try and bring that in how I set the space or if we do altar or... Yeah, like the other week, I don't know if you saw the pictures, a, a friend that we know had a um, mother blessing and I offered a mandala. No, I offered a, this mandala with the, for the centerpiece. And so just trying to bring that in wherever I can. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. in so many ways to do that. So thinking of the aesthetic and like something that's visually pleasing and beautiful and that presence of a visually pleasing aspect to a space is so enriching and it yes. stops people in their tracks and it connects people, especially when it's a mandala in the centre of the room and everybody sits around it and gazes at it for hours. It's very yeah. powerful. Yeah, yeah, because you just sat in one. At a mother blessing that I didn't actually do uh, because the friends of the woman did it before I arrived, but it was interesting to see that there was also, I don't know if you used these in Courtney's, but there were a lot of legumes on it, the, the colourful split peas and all the other things. And it reminded me of the altar that we built together a yeah. few months ago for Nully's workshops or the one here in Kyneton. And I'll, as I said, I'll share, I'll mention who Nully's is in the show notes for anybody who's unaware of that. But we built a, an altar together out of mud, which I remember you spoke at the time of about your background in, in mud building. So it was really beautiful to see, yeah, to sort of share that with you. And there's so many ways that we can bring things to to enrich the present work. Do you see yourself doing more sort of work with mud do you see yourself bringing that into this work anymore is that something that you'd like to do or not so much necessarily I mean I I don't know how and I don't have where like I, I used uh-huh. to you know where I lived we just had mud available and it was mm-hmm. just, I don't know how I would bring it in <laughs> maybe like a very small scale it might be something that you could do um like really like like really small scale things to do with women. Yeah. Oh, I do. I do do with women these beautiful kind of clay exercises that I was taught mm-hmm. at the Steiner seminar just to okay. as like a grounding exercise. We work with our hands and it's a beautiful, very grounding exercise that we do together. Yeah. That sounds lovely. Wow, that sounds beautiful. And as you know, I'm working with some clay at the moment. I'm working on an altar piece for you, which yes. I'm also doing. I don't have a background with mud building, but I, I do enjoy exploring clay and forming things with my hands and I'm imagining different things I can make with the clay. Yeah, it's a really beautiful process and I love doing it with women as well, sitting with a piece of clay and just 
letting the process unfold. It's not outcome focused. It's really just an exploration and another tool to explore whatever may be in the subconscious, which I also do with birth art and, and other ways. What I love about the clay is that I just love that act of like doing something and they might be beautiful, but then just being like, I'm just going to destroy it for mm. like the act of not being attached to it because we get attached to so many things. So sometimes I'll do something and I love it. I love it. And I just have the urge to squash it because I just go, oh, I need to not be attached to this. Well, I need to work on that. I haven't destroyed any of the clay things that I've made. That <laughs> I think I'd be really upset to do that. But I love that idea. It's about the non-attachment. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that little tip. <laughs> so I'm interested to know where you are driving your business or do you even see your work as a business or is it a passion hobby? Is it not a business? Um, sort of where are you Where are you heading towards? What's in the future for your work? It's a very slow burn for me, the business. I struggle with like thinking ahead of having plans ahead. So I struggle with and like most women or people, I struggle promoting myself. So I just, it's its very slow. I just kind of work on, on word of mouth mostly. So I don't really have a plan of where it's going. I do have areas that I'm more passionate about that I, if I could just do this, I would do this all day. Mm-hmm. And that's the ceremony that I was kind of introduced to that way of closing through you. It was when we met and when I heard about Nao Lee and signed up for her platform. And that's when I went, oh, my God, mm. if I could just do closings for a living, I would do that. Mm. All day. How beautiful. And you were born in Mexico. Yes, yeah. right? I was born. Yeah, born in Mexico, yeah. raised throughout Mexico, Argentina, Israel and Spain. Um, yeah. And the closing ceremony that you're referring to is the, the one that's part of the Mexican postpartum tradition, traditional yes. Mexican postpartum ritual. Wow, how beautiful. So would you like to share a little? So is that sort of the core offering that you have at the moment or you'd like it to be the core offering eventually? Yeah, yeah. Well, I offer, look, I offer, I do birth work and I do postpartum work and then I offer closing of the bones and the closing, to be honest, most of the closing that I've done is not for newborn moms. It's mostly for women yeah. that are 5, 20 to 50 years postpartum. Oh, my gosh. Um, Just got yeah. shit that's fine. so powerful powerful. and I was thinking like what is it about it and of course that it's I love ritual and I love ceremony so of course there's that element of ritual is so important you know like I grew up Jewish and I'm not religiously Jewish I'm cultural Jewish (laughs) but in my house every Friday I make challah bread which is a typical bread that uh, you eat on Friday and we light candles and we go around and we kind of say what were the highs and lows of our week? Mm-hmm. It's really look forward to it. Like it's it's mm-hmm. marking a moment in time that's really important. And ritual, it's, it's really about intention. Like it's you decide what if a moment is special or not by the intention that you set to it. Mm-hmm. And so I like the idea of ritual because I feel like, so if we do a ceremony and it's this beautiful ritual and there's certain, say, we build an altar for the woman. And the woman has this beautiful experience in the ceremony. And a year later, she sees an object that was on the altar in the ceremony. And she can remember the sacredness of that moment and the holiness of it, of herself and how, and the beauty that she carries. And just, just kind of tapping into the, into that, that moment, then that's like, I'm like, I've done my job. You know, it's that for me is, is really powerful. 
And I think the reason I love the ceremony is because I love birth work is beautiful. Like we're, we're supporting a woman, we're witnessing her and we're supporting her when the act of surrender is a bit hot or, or it's overwhelming. And But at the end, the birth is a dance between her and her baby. There's two dances. Mm-hmm. And at the closing ceremony, it's just about her. The, mm-hmm. the woman is, is the sole dancer and she's dancing with her demons and she's dancing with her triumphs and and it's just about her and and i just love that i love pushing those edges i love i love testing those edges and and i find that a lot of women it's very hard for them to drop into the ceremony we're so used to being caretakers you know i'll, I'll be with a woman and they're like are you okay do you need water i'm like don't like do you find that not so much because the women that I've done the ceremony for aren't necessarily birth workers or work, or people who are working supporting women yeah. in that way. So not so much, but I, I see that in myself. Actually, again, in full disclosure and transparency, I was supposed to have a ceremony tomorrow. I know. I know. <laughs> After offering this closing ceremony myself for the past four years or so, I haven't received it and it's something that I've been exploring and I asked you if you would do it for me and we had scheduled it for tomorrow but I've postponed. And it's interesting because I notice in me that part of that is there's, an, there's a discomfort in going into that and, and allowing myself to be tended to because I've never been tended to. It's very unfamiliar territory for me. So I can see how. Yes, I just love that. I love kind of holding space for women when they're uncomfortable and just being like, but I need to tend to you. And I just go, no, just, mm. this is not about me. It's about you. And and eventually when the woman drops in, it's so beautiful to, mm. to watch. And, and again, there's grief in that as well, because then women come out of it realizing how little they have it or what a luxury it feels like. And it's like, this shouldn't be a luxury. Mm. Five hours in your life and your whole life, should, that's nothing. Mm. You should get more than that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it speaks to a lot of things, the way that a lot of us live in individualistic ways away from communities and villages where we're really parenting and tending to our, you know, immediate circles on our own in isolation and without the kind of support that would enable those things to happen more frequently and more easily. I love how you, you mentioned the symbolism of even having objects on the altar that perhaps belong to her that she will continue to see over the years following that will remind her and take her back to those moments and just remind her of her value and her worth, I suppose, as a woman and a mother. If already yeah. a woman, she may not be a mother because this ceremony is obviously offered not only to people postpartum, as you alluded to, immediately postpartum, but sometimes postpartum several or many years later, but also up to other significant rites of passage. So it can be offered to women as well who haven't had babies of their own. Yeah. Hmm. So you're sort of figuring things out as you go. You don't have a clear vision picture for your future in business, but something that you really enjoy is the closing ceremony. You'd love to just do those. I'm really curious to see how that unfolds and to see what comes of that vision. And I know listeners in, in Australia may be interested to know that there's a group of us in Victoria who are working together to co-create a, a group model to offer this closing ceremony because some people find it too difficult to offer on their own and traditionally it's not offered just by one person. So that's a really exciting unfolding as well. There's about 25 or 20 or so of us working to try and create something together and that's really, really exciting as well. I'm just, I don't know what will come of that over the next year or two, but it's going to be beautiful to see it unfold. Yeah. yeah. So just to finish up, Debbie, I'm interested to know if you have any thoughts, firstly, if you have any questions for me at all or 
Also, if you have any thoughts or comments for people who are considering moving into the work of the doula world, birth world, both are postpartum doulas or ceremony keepers or mud operators or anything like that. My main take would be like what I would tell anyone that's coming into this work is surround yourself with women, surround yourself with brethren people, surround yourself with people that do this work and be ready to be confronted with your own shit. Every birth that I tend to, I stuff comes up from from my first birth or from my second and oh, why didn't I do that? Why wasn't I aware that I could do this? And why was I lacking that? And, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's constant. So I think being surrounded by people that can support you and that you can debrief with, you can't, it's not a job that you can do alone. Like, you, yes, you rock up to a, a birth and you're maybe the only doula, but mm-hmm. you can't do it alone. You just, you need your community to support you. It's a little bit like, um, I think about it all the time as like, you know, that circle of grief that they say, how, um, do you know that idea? So this is for like when someone's very ill or someone that's dead. So there's the circle of grief and in the middle, there's the person that's grieving the most and then there's rings around it. And so the idea is that they can pour uh, shit out, like Mm -hmm. negative things out, but inwards towards the center it's only positive things so the person that's mm. in the middle can kind of offload to the to the circle outside mm-hmm. that circle outside can only pour positive things inwards and then mm-hmm. they need an outside circle to lean on mm-hmm. does that make sense? am i explaining it yeah well? it, it does it's amazing i haven't actually come across that concept before but it seems like it's something that would be relevant in so many different settings it's really exactly wow. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting because when I was training for birth, my partner was training as a death doula. Mm-hmm. And so we would compare kind of the skill sets that we were being kind of taught or, or like the exercises that we were doing. And it was, it was similar. Much, yeah. It's a little interesting. Yeah, yeah how interesting. Yeah. For those of those people who, listeners who maybe haven't attended births before, it really is, it's a liminal space. And um, I think in many ways it's similar to the, the space of somebody dying just in, in that sacredness and, you know, start of life, end of life. And I read something on Instagram yesterday, something along the lines of if you fear birth, you actually fear death or something like that. Both ends have been medicalized and, mm. you know, both ends, we know how to do them unless you need intervention, then yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. both have been, we both, we've been stripped of the power to do either. Yeah. And made to believe own. maybe that we that, that that yeah that there's fear or that we don't know how to do them or that that it's yeah some reason yeah. um yeah something to be afraid of so I love that I'd yeah. love to if you could perhaps send me a reference or the name of that circle of grief or where that concept yeah. comes yeah. from I'd love to make a note of that as well to read about further and to share with the listeners amazing yeah. I'm just really grateful that you're doing this it's so beautiful to like I'm so interested to hear other people that you're going to interview but yeah. yeah to hear these stories and they're all unique which is exactly the point so I hope that there's a resonance in the audience and people are interested to listen to these stories yeah I bet they will yeah thank you so much for your time today Debbie have a beautiful day in Melbourne and we'll be in touch soon yes we will all right take care bye bye Thank you so much for listening to the Whole Dollar podcast today and my conversation with Debbie Azzelbel. It was really beautiful to hear the way that Debbie weaves her 
passion for gardening and horticulture into her work and the way that she nourishes and supports families. But also, yeah, really interesting to hear many of the other things that we talked about. And I was really interested in particular right at the end that that concept of the circle of grief. So I will share in the show notes today references to that, but also the various names that Debbie mentioned. So that if you're interested, you can look those people up as well. And I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation and I will be sharing another one in two weeks time. Thanks so much for listening to the Hold Willow podcast with Mary Giordano. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation today. If so, please hit subscribe and consider leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Have a beautiful day. Bye.